the hard work for four years. Um, you've put in hundreds and thousands of miles worth of travel to get there. Um, so, uh, Gary, you mentioned briefly what it was like for you on match day, that you'd have to be hidden away and just be on your own. Graham hinted at that you were on the field, that you were on the field and saying what you needed to say, just different patterns, different... That's the joy of you both, I guess. You, you sort of mesh together so well is that one person's deficit is another person's strength or one person's difference is another person's strength and, and it, it works so well and it's why we're grateful that you're doing this it's but on the on the day of the final you, were you even sitting together which is this question that's a, that's a weird one to ask but you know were you actually sitting together yeah yeah we, we you know we always sat together I mean even getting on the bus as we get on the bus, I would sit in the left, Street would sit on the, uh, sorry, I would sit on the right, Street would sit on the left. Um, and you go back to 2010 where the bus journey was a bit of a, uh, a, a freak out in my opinion with the, the crowd and everything. Yeah. 2014, we had a police escort. The journey from our hotel to the, uh, to the ground normally took about 32, 35 minutes. I think this took 18 minutes. Right. And we had these two police outriders, yeah. sirens going, motorbikes. Uh, there's one way ahead, and then there's two either side. Okay, and they, we just like we just went through uh, Paris like a knife through butter. I mean, there was cars trying to uh, come over, and these coppers were in front of us. And as they would sort of try and overtake the bus, this one copper put his hand on his gun. And would start kicking the car off his bike to tell him to get back. And it would just, you know, they wouldn't allow anybody past the bus, and we just straight through. But Gary had arranged with, um, was it Julia Hedy about going underneath? Yeah. So as that we we were Hurston, we Julie Hutton. got off the bus as close as possible, oh, yeah. right, to the changing room without seeing anybody. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can get that. It's distracting, isn't it? And again, you know, which is why we started this conversation at the 2010 World Cup. Those are the lessons you learned. You took them all with you, all the good things and the bad things. You took them all on the journey and it, it pays <clears> off <throat> four years later. I mean, can um, I take you back a day before the um, please do, yeah. before the World Cup final? So I'm still the only English coach who won two World Cups and I'll tell you why. So oh, <laughs> I don't know the story. Go on. <laughs> oh, God. So two nights before I've gone to bed and, I've, and I have really lucid dreams and and I had this dream, as it turned out, that we'd won. And I woke up in the morning that we'd won the World Cup. And I was absolutely buzzing. Oh, I can't, we've done it. Well, you know, after all that pain, four years, we've won. So I get up, I'm having a shower. I'm thinking, oh God, what? And I, was like, I can't remember the score. And I remember, but I remember walking around um, with my shoulder over over Nolly, well, my arm over Nolly Waterman's shoulder, and thinking, "Oh God, that was just amazing." And we chatting about old field and all the times we'd had. And I was thinking, "God, I must have been so drunk. I remember the score. We won the world." <laughs> so I, so I pack, I, I pack to what? go home. I pack to go home, <laughs> and I still can't remember the score. And I I go down to reception, and I'm thinking it's going to be mad down there today. You know, it's Sky been with us, and there's all the, and that, and it was empty in reception. And I'm looking around, I speak to the, the lady reception, you know, where, was everybody up, up yet? So I'm, no, we haven't seen anybody yet, breakfast at so-and-so. And I was like, so I look at her, the date on the thing on reception. Yeah. And it was the Friday. And we <laughs> wow. And I went back to my room and it felt like I'd lost in 2010. Wow. Genuinely did. I couldn't, wow. do you know, I, 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 I cried, I lay in my bed. I genuinely felt like I'd lost again. And it took me all day to get over it. I didn't get out. I, I was, it was, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And after we did win, I remember sitting next. I saw Graham this the other day. We want the ticker tapes gone off. Where I'm sitting next to Vicky Fleetwood on this stage and podium, and I was like, "Oh my god, maybe I've just dreamt it again." <laughs> and, I, and, I like, and I poked Vicky, and I went, "I said, Vicky, we have one." And she looked at me. And she went, "What?" And I went, "We have one, haven't we?" And she looked at me as though, "What on earth are you on?" And um, I couldn't really explain to her what was happening, but. Um, Street, he's finally had a stroke. He's had it. Yeah, he was. Um, <laughs> it, it was a bit bizarre. So, um, yeah, that was the uh, day before. 
You were saying that you, you used to watch the highlights of the 2010 final every Monday as motivation. How much are you looking forward to dragging that file to the bin? Oh, that's going to get deleted tonight, definitely. There's, a, there's probably a good one um, somewhere that I can download onto my iPad for, for next Monday. So that one's going. I'm, I'm not watching that again. And, um, but it's driven all of us, I think. And I don't, I don't think people have been as, as obsessive as me about watching it every week. I think the girls would, would probably go crazy. but. It's driven me to, to uh, not want to go there again. A couple of things. The two things you said was you used to watch the game, the 2010 final, every single yeah. day or every single week. Yeah. And the second one was Emily Scarrett's try was the best, gave you the best nine minutes of your World Cup because you knew you'd won it. Or something. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. No. Yeah. It was, it was, it was um, Alex, uh, I can't remember his surname. Oh, Alex, Alex, Payne. Alex Payne. Alex Payne. It was Alex, yeah. So, yeah. So Sky produced a highlights video of, the final, the 2010 final, and it was about it's about 12 minutes long, something like that. And um, I've got into routine, so I what I went to I was on the cross train on a Monday morning after, and I think it's probably in the January January Feb of 2011. And I just watched it, and I sort of put my headphones on, and I was flicking through. It was on a little iPod, not not it wasn't even an iPad at the time. And it's just oh my god, and, I, and it was sort of like. I was thinking, oh, that's why I need to be really good this week. I was, I was, so I was driven by, I can't do that again, you know, and so for a whole host, host of reasons that we've talked about already, but I was so driven and just became a habit. So I'd, every Monday morning, it almost became, became a bit of a, a lucky charm, I think, because 20, 2011 was, as you said, we had an amazing year. We beat New Zealand. I didn't lose New Zealand. So it just became a, it was almost, you know, like you your lucky pants and your lucky socks. It became a bit of that, really. So, so when it first started, it, it was awful and uncomfortable. And then I just got used to watching it. So, and I was just like, and I was thinking, if I, God, if I don't watch it, we won't win. It. <laughs> One of those OCD things that I think coaches have. So, yeah, so I watched it every single Monday for, for much four years. This is it, isn't it, Johnny? This is it, the World Cup final. Yes, the teams come from two completely different places. England, 20 years of pain in all those World Cup finals and no victories. Canada riding a wave of excitement being in their first final. But in the end, it doesn't really matter how many finals you've been to. Now it's all about the team that keeps its cool, that plays its best, that trusts itself. That's the team that wins. Canada. Tough and unified and fearless forged for their 2013 Nations Cup win over England. England and Canada met eight days ago in the pool stages. It was a draw that day. Today is a totally different prospect. England's third final in a row. Canada's first time at the pinnacle of the women's game. This is a World Cup that has propelled the women's game into a different rugby stratosphere. A chance to be part of rugby history. Will it be England or Canada who book their place in rugby's immortality? Really scout. 78% kick success in this World Cup. No trouble at all. And it's Burford, lovely pass onto Scarrett. And here's Wilson, flicks it inside to Katie McLean. Good enveloping tackle by who? Karen Pukwa, Fleetwood, Hunter. Now there's space, lovely dummy from Taylor. It's Alfonsi, it's Waterman. It's Danielle Waterman! Waterman steps back. And it's a good throw from Magali Harvey. She does get some points back for Canada. It's Canada just beginning to grow. No expectation. Harvey giving it a huge rock and it's over. Emily Scout with the opportunity to respond. Flags are up. Straight through the uprights from Emily Scout. And they go to the front, to the bank of all. 
to Rebecca Essex. So now it's England pack. Drive Canada back. That's the 22 metre line. Hunt. McLean is scarred. But a much flatter ball. Emily Scarrett! Emily Scarrett! He's going to go all the way! It's not over yet. England cannot celebrate yet. Belchos. Burke. The referee's watch is bleeping. Time is over. The performance didn't matter today. The victory did. And there it is. England are world champions. But this is a squad effort that has built for so many years. When you have to give full credit to Gary Strip and Graham Smith. This is a massively nice question. This is for me, really. Um, when you ask, when you listen to coaches' comments and they say, um, what do you think of that last minute? And he went, I don't know, I have no idea. I was getting downstairs. I didn't see it. Right? How long did it take you both to get to the field after you'd won? Because I know what Graham said, and it was lots of swear words. But, um, but just, for the, just for us, from, from when you'd won to the minute you messed, met the first person from the England support team, from the England team, how long did it take to get down to the pitch? Well... I was there was a bar in front of me. It was like a silver Oh metal thing. bar, right? Okay. Metal <laughs> bar, yes. You've never, you never made the pitch if there was a bar. <laughs> <laughs> walked into walked into a bar, went ouch. Um <laughs> so and it was um and I remember I was, I just felt frozen to it. I was I was I was hanging on to it and I I felt a bit paralyzed of of nothingness. Uh, well not nothing, but not not really taken on board or the the the, re the relief of the win was just nothing no feeling i've ever experienced and i didn't i didn't move for a while and I, I think graham stood up and he hugged me as he as we normally would after a game and i think he grabbed me but i i just felt a bit paralyzed so i can't really remember i don't think i was there that quickly um because i was yeah the the, the relief and and to be honest so the, the biggest picture I've from the documentary, you can see my wife had been there. And um, so Ben, who was my youngest, he, he sat on a lap and he was um, five years old at the World Cup. And there's, there's that scene where you see she's crying. And jo Johnny Hammond, really nicely, he talks about it in the presentation. He, he talks about, for those of you who've watched the documentary, the the pain of, of Gary's wife four years ago. What's that like now? So... All I wanted to do really was go and see Ben and Helen, my wife, then. Um, so I'm, that's where I headed for. And when I got down there, Ben was sitting on Helen's lap, four years on from the tears in the stoop, and then the and then, and it's and the sort of the images both came together, sort of where we were now, and um, and so yeah, so I saw, saw the players, and then I sort of ran off to go and get Ben, and. Um, so Moggy, who's a friend of self and Graham, one of the coaches, um, I looked up and Stuart Lancaster was sitting next to my wife as well. Stuart came over, great support from him. And they start, started handing Ben down to me over this wall to get onto the pitch. And a security guy started wow. running up towards me to stop it. Fortunately, <laughs> something from the IRP said it's fine because probably the headlines would have been World Cup coach kills security guard. <laughs> Um, post final because I, I, I was I was in such an emotional record time that nobody was going to let me stop seeing my son at the time. Of course. Um, so there was a yeah a panic to look in the security guard's face when he sort of was, no no oh okay no I can see your mental um, and <laughs> and um, yeah so and I, and I pretty much stayed away then and, and I had to spy my ears on do post match but to be honest I, I was I wanted to spend time with Ben after that so yeah I did hug the players and stuff and I did. Quite a bit, trying to talk to them, but um, for the most part, that I sort of moved away a little bit. Graham, how long did it take you to get down there? Throwing, well, probably, well, well, Graham, throwing bodies out the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 
it wasn't that easy because the Jean Boulogne is, is, is a big stadium. So you've got to get down a few flights of stairs from where we were in our, in our box to, to get onto the field. And of course, um, there was a fair few uh, supporters there. So people are shaking hands and, and uh, there was, for me, there was no euphoria, really. Um, it, it, was, it was sheer relief. You know, it, it, uh, unbelievable relief, really, uh, that, that we'd actually really managed to do this after after three World Cups and 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 uh, you know what we'd gone through, uh, um, and then th the rest is a bit of a blur on the field. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm not exactly sure who I spoke to. I, I the the I remember groups of people because there was groups of people in the crowd from this rugby club or that rugby club and there was moggy and some of the guys who'd worked with the rfu there was my sister and her husband in the crowd as well and and uh i was, I was trying to find them and you're just trying to look at people and, and and wave and sort of thing um but the the medal ceremony uh, i have to watch the video of the confetti and everything going off because um i honestly honestly still check that it's me on the podium <laughs> wow <laughs> you know because it's just it's just one of them things it's you know i, I know it happened because I've, I've got all the medals in in my uh, in my cupboard um but um there is an element of it that it was a bit um christ uh hesitate to say this but like an out-of-body experience you know but it happened it was you know. yeah i mean there will always be photographs of me, me and Rocky because we always had a, I think we've got a photograph of, of uh, together after every, every game that we ever played together or coach player uh, related. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, um, it, 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 it was incredible. I mean, the, bu the bus journey and the evening, there's far more memories of that than there is of the actual after the game, yeah. getting the medals, you know. So when did it really hit home for you guys that you'd achieved what you set out to do? You'd achieved whatever you'd written on the post-it note and stuck on the wall, you know, all of that hard work and graph. When did you realise, was it a couple of days later? Was it weeks later? Was it months later? What was the, the process of really sort of sitting and going, wow, I've, I've actually, I've, I've done this? It was hours later because if you listen to Katie McLean's post-match interview... Katie McLean, England World Champions. It's been a long time. Yeah, about 20 years, I think, since the last time. Um, you know, all testament to Canada were fantastic today, but that group of girls, that group of staff, they deserve everything that we've got today. We've worked so hard for this. We've had such a rough ride. There's so many great legends that have gone before us that haven't won in an England shirt, and that's for all of them that are here today. This is all about the England rugby family, and it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, it didn't all start in the last 18 days, did it? No, it didn't. It started years ago. It started years ago with the people that have brought us here and our family and friends that have helped us. But, you know, we had to work hard today. Canada were fantastic. And it's just absolutely amazing to think we've done it. Uh, she talks about, we haven't done this for us. We've done this for every player that's previously gone and played for England. And, and this isn't just about our journey. It's about the journey of England women's rugby. And I can't remember exact words. But we, uh, obviously the bus was fairly lively. So that's when the memory kicks in on the bus. I, I can remember the bus and the noise and the cup going up and down and, uh, um, you know, beer in the cup and so on and so forth. And I thought, and I think Streety had the same thought. We were, I thought we were going straight back to the hotel. And the bus driver comes around this island about five, ten minutes from the, the, the stadium, if that. And just parks the bus in the island, more or less, right. on the roundabout. And there's a bar, and it's just ram-packed with every English person that have nice. been at the game. <laughs> nice. and, and, and we get off, and people are just going absolutely mental. So all the, the majority of the players that Katie talked about that had been previously were in this bar. Oh, you know, And uh, Karen Andrew... Uh, uh, TJ Sutton, Rob Clayton, uh, I think Giselle Mather was in there, I, you know, and, sure. and it, uh, Carol Isherwood, and, and it was just mental. 
and and the bar staff were struggling to keep up with it was just ram packed and this bus driver just didn't give a flying fee he he <laughs> He pulled over. I wasn't sure whether he was drinking or not, but uh, there's a photograph of when we got back to the hotel and he says, I want a photograph of everybody. And for, from somewhere, there's a, there's a 10 kilo weights disc appears, which he's holding in the photograph. Don't, I don't know. But, um, but from what I thought was going to be a fairly early night back at the hotel and we'd have a few more and then it would peter out, um, I'm not sure what time we got back to the hotel after, the, uh, after this bus journey. Good were the celebrations? Probably the best bit for us. We'd, um, we'd named a bar in Paris for our supporters. So all the supporters were all it. And then on our way back last night, bus stop there, all the girls were out, all the supporters were kind of in the corner on the street. And me and Sarah Hunter got to kind of walk off and lift the trophy. And the roars of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot was honestly, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. So the plan was, is that because of the driver and hours and driving and stuff, is that we, that he'd, he'd set, well, originally the plan was it was 15 minutes in the bar and then we had to get back to the hotel. Two and a half hours later, we're still there. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got back. Um, Katie and quite a few of the other girls went in the swimming pool. They didn't get there. She had a captain's call, so a lot of them didn't go to bed. Um, and then we had Sky with us on the bus on the Sunday on, on the way home with um, so the, the Alex Payne, the inside line, all those videos are on O2 inside line from those World Cups and Katie hasn't been to bed and it's 10 o'clock in the morning and she's trying to speak coherently to Alex Payne as uh, he's shown her the, head, the headlines of the uh, English newspapers and um, so and yeah and the, the, the day and she had, I think she was back at so that was the Sunday I think she was back at school on the Monday Wow Teaching. Amateur players, there you go. Yeah. People forget that, don't they? People forget it. And so now the ultimate accolade, accolade, the 2014 UK Coach of the Year. And it is the England women's rugby team head coach, Gary Street. Okay, so you're world champions, and with it becomes, well, simply the praise you deserve, I think. You know, all of you. Uh, the team, yourselves, you get honours here on there. You get BBC Team of the Year. Gary, you get notable wins in, in various award ceremonies, which is which Graham took graciously, I think. And uh, <laughs> so, but the mate, the freedom of the borough of rugby must yeah. be the prize of the lot. It must be thrilling for you all to be freedom of borough of rugby. What one day I'm gonna get a load of sheep and walk it down the high street. <laughs> yes, you, you laugh, you laugh, but rugby's my hometown. I was is born it? there. So Gary's got the freedom of Murray. There you go. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take this sheep down the high street, wait for policemen to come over and say, mate, what are you doing? And then pull this scroll out and go, <laughs> read this. <laughs> so the, the, really the, the question is, the question I want to ask was, um, what was the BBC Sports Personality Day? What was that like? BBC Sports Personality of the Year. What was that like? I've been watching BBC. I think it's rubbish now, to be honest with you. I think it's been ruined, but... I was I was watching it as a kid when uh, uh, Henry Cooper was winning it and and uh, going back to when it was in black and white, and it was always an ambition. I wanted to be, you know, that person who got that award. Um, and uh, like Streety, I don't know how many you've been to previously, but I've been to a couple before as a guest, um, which is fantastic to be invited and you get into the after after dinner party uh, or the after event party with all these famous, famous people, which is fantastic. But to be uh, the first women's team to win BBC uh, Sports Personality Team of the Year, to go on that stage with all those girls and uh, who'd worked so hard and, and with the staff and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was just incredible. For me, it was it, that 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 was almost as big a dream as actually winning the World Cup for me uh, at that moment in time. Yeah, I, I, it was an amazing night. You know, well, I've got a good story of that night actually. So I'd been nominated for Coach of the Year as well on the right. on the night. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, and you know, I did get a load of awards, but it was you know it isn't a cliche but it's all about the team and it was for me you know it was me and graham and obviously mids has come on board as well and they pick the head coach don't they so it was nice so 
Um, so I've been to a few of these things by now, and I sort of got the score if I was going to win them. So the, the yeah. camera would the camera would come round and sort of come and sit by you to to get the reaction that you've won it and stuff. So I've, I've got what's going on now. So um, I think we've been given a heads up with one team of the year, and then but I didn't know anything whether I'd won coach of the year. So and there was a, a, um, a shortlist of three or four of us, I think, and it was like, oh, and the man with the plan, Gary Street. And so as he's chatting, this camera comes from the side and comes and it's just out of everybody's eye line. He's now about three metres away and I'm like, oh, happy days. I know what this is about. I've won this. <laughs> right. So so I'm thinking, right, get yourself down. I've got what I was going to say all sort of in my head, you know, keep nice and calm, smile on the way to the camera. I know all about this now. And the coach of the year is. So I'm now on my way up. I'm ready to go <laughs> now with the camera points at me. Oh, Paul McGinley. And I'm like, Trying to smile to camera and try to sit back down. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh man. Check um, your, so, your flies up. Everything's oh man. Yeah. So um that was the Ryder yeah, Cup winner. What was the Ryder Cup, wasn't it? The Ryder yeah, Cup. there was a this yeah. big row afterwards that he wasn't really a coach. He was like, he's got a load of Ryder He just picked some picked some teams, didn't he? He got the best golfers in the world and he just yeah. let them play, you know. And he don't, I don't think he I don't think he actually coached any of them, did he, during the tournament? <laughs> Not that, you're, um, not that you're bitter, Gary, or anything, you know. <laughs> let it go, Gary. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah, let it go. But, no, but it, was, it, was a, it was a great night. Uh, so whose idea was Never Forget, which is the story of the video that the girls put together? Was it before or after the tournament? I would, it, I would have stopped it. You would have yeah. stopped it? Really? Yeah, what? I would have done. I, I had no idea. I, w- I would have said, we haven't won anything yet. Keep going. I'm so glad oh, I didn't. Oh, it was know. before. No, it was, ju- yeah, it was, it was during, during the tournament. It was during the tournament. Joking. As it was going on, they'd sneak away with Nick Heath, who's a good friend, and they would. I think, obviously, I think they must have known that I would have stopped it because I always said, "Look, we need to concentrate on that. We've won nothing yet. I would have gone do one afterwards. Leave it till after." And we'll, and we'll we can do one then. I would I would definitely stopped it, and I'm so glad I didn't know because it is so brilliant. So I hadn't I hadn't seen any of I we didn't know anything about it until after when we got home. Wow, because for those who don't know, uh, the girls did a, a sort of a karaoke sing along to Never Forget, and they put a video to it. And as you said, Nick Heath was the guy who filmed it. All oh, right, I thought it was afterwards. Oh man, I'm, I'm like you. I would have said absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Oh mate, it's bits, aren't there? And the the, the the footage I've seen, I think, how did you do that? Was it like like Prius getting on a bus? They're on the bus clapping away. It was, it was like these not um, the swimming pool stuff. Um, the the, the room stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that that was. I mean, because obviously you know we never been a change room post change room and to see that elation in the change room and what was going on in there yeah that was a brilliant capture for me and that that made me really emotional because obviously i hadn't seen any of what was going on it's funny you say when we talked about this graham said exactly the same thing go on graham tell him what you said about the video you watched it last week didn't you i i uh when when maybe things are not 100 percent for me mentally I, I, there's, there's two videos I, I watch. One is um, um, Any Given Sunday with Al Pacino's speech. Um, and, and the other is, is this video. I'll put it on just to... But, but it, it, it's got some other little bits in there that if you know the players, uh, and, and Streety, you can say yay or nay to this. There's three things that you find out about players in that video. Maggie Alfonsi's sheer commitment to anything that she does <laughs> alongside her ability to show off her guns. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl Hunter's complete lack of rhythm. Nice. Nice. On the bus. <laughs> and I love it a bit, but Kay Wilson at any given time, at any time of day or night, hasn't got a clue what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> Just drag them around by the by the collar and say, "Look, go there, do this." Amen, Amen. Have a watch it again after you've heard that insight yeah, from yeah. Graham. Right. And um, Kay, Kay Wilson is absolutely lovely, but hasn't a Scooby about life at all. I don't know how she's <laughs> survived at all. So you watch her trying to watch her trying to sing along to a song that like, you have a look at it. You'll see that they're, they're in the they're in the uh, an ice bath, I think, and um, 
she's trying desperately to think of any words at all to say, never mind this song. Um, there is Graham has missed out one of his favourite films that he didn't mention just, um, and it's 101 Great Scrums from 1924. Nice, nice. What a video. What a video. Actually, you're wrong there. It starts <laughs> in 1955. <laughs> oh, man. Obviously, we've discussed what happened post-2010. You had a... a a training a session with the players and and you met them you sort of digested what would happen you had some some old faces left and some new faces came in after the world cup win in 2014 um did you have a training session with sort of new players with the coming in what was it sort of looking like in the build-up to sort of the next tournaments and six nations international fixtures training session um i'll be honest with you now i can't remember of any of the plans that we discussed uh, because events after that uh, really took over. Um, we trained on the at Loughborough on I think it was the fifth and sixth of January, and on the seventh of January we were both invited down to Twickenham, and uh, um, we uh, we were we were asked to step aside. Bring you the uh, breaking news that happened uh, in the last hour with regards to uh, Gary Street, who has left his post as uh, England women's rugby team head coach. That after winning the World Cup, of course, last year, Street masterminded that World Cup win, beating Canada in the final in August. He took over the England women's team in 2007 and led them to the 2010 World Cup final, where they lost to New Zealand before going. A step better, of course, last year. He also led them to five successive Six Nations titles. And this is what Street has had to say. I have been part of an incredible journey for the last 14 years, and I am extremely proud of the part that I played in growing the women's game to where it is now. The pinnacle has to be winning the Rugby World Cup in France last year. However, huge credit must go to all the people involved in making that happen, not just the players, but the backroom staff too. I now feel that I have achieved everything that I set out to do, and this is the right time to explore new challenges in my career. Well, after their World Cup win, the team were granted a Downing Street reception, while Street was also named Coach of the Year at the UK Coaching Awards. And the Team of the Year, the winners are, and much deserve, the England Rugby Union team. And in November, Street and his players were named Team of the Year at the Sunday Times and Sky Sports Sportswoman Awards. Definitely will be a miss, and there's a there's a lot of players that he's worked with for, for a long time, a number of years, and he has the ability to give players the confidence to, to make the decisions themselves and and go and you know and go and play really good rugby, and and obviously that was proof of that um, in this year's World Cup. The game is in a healthy position now, you know it is growing, but everyone you know everyone has a responsibility to make sure it can, carries on and continues that momentum. And and Gary Street's got to be really proud of all that he's achieved, you know, not just this year but but over the years. And um, you know, I wish him well for for whatever he's doing. Sorry, I, I want to make it clear that there are signed agreements, confidentiality agreements, and things you can't say. This is not this is not the aim of the the podcast. This is the aim of the podcast is to make sure you tell your story as world champions. Unfortunately, it comes with a bit of a tinge of sadness um, and a bit of anger and everything else. Um, but I, you know, I just want to talk about, in your own words, for as long as you feel comfortable doing it, about after you've had the meetings that you're being asked to step down. Um, and I appreciate that this is a thorny issue and please, I'm not gonna ask you to say something uncomfortable, just say what you think within, within the remits of what you're allowed to say. Um, you went in the meeting and you were asked to step down. So who, who went in first, second, and just keep it on a peripheral level if you could guys, please. Okay. Daddy so, went first uh, and I went second. Um, uh, and I, uh, unless Gary tells me I'm wrong, I think the message was the same. Um, um, I think the, 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 the only thing we can say with certain, I can say with certainty without breaching any confidentiality agreements is uh, it wasn't uh, our decision to step down. Okay, right. It was interesting because when when you were asked to step down and it made the press, 
Um, in my research for this, <clears throat> it went as far as China. I've actually found a report that was by Reuters in China. And it was quite a shock to me, knowing at the time, I knew both of you at the time, Gary from previously, but obviously Graham and I, for another, for another day, had met and had conversations since 2014. Um, so I'm going to move away from that because that's a thorny issue. So you'd stepped away or not stepped away. Um, you're in world champions. You're two of the most experienced coaches. And I say this with all due reference to others of the two finest coaches in the world because of the things you were doing with the England team. What were the job offers like when you went searching for them afterwards? Gary, can I start with you, please? Um, so I didn't. So I decided to have a bit of a rest from everything. I went and volunteered um, for Age Concern for a bit, something I've always wanted to do. Um, and put some reference into that. I really enjoyed it. And um, I, I, I just like working for another charity again now as, as a volunteer. So it's something I enjoy. Um but then going back into the job market was incredibly difficult uh, for seemingly really strange reasons. Um, so director of sports jobs, rugby, um, would go and get an interview and, and then feedback when I didn't get the job was, well, we thought you'd probably leave. Um, we thought we couldn't pay you enough when I hadn't even spoken about money. Um, and then and then just became difficult to to even get an interview with 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 jobs that I, I know who got the job who would be far less qualified and it's always been quite difficult to to work out really about what what people are looking for you know I, I heard the word overqualified loads of times which was made me quite sad because there was a lot of things I could have had a really good input into and again I, I'm not really sure he's still probably the answer on some of it and I was I was really fortunate when Tony Dipros came and approached me about going back to Harlequins, but um, yeah, really, really difficult considering, yeah. say, the uh, the profile and, and what we've done sort of within the game, really, not just in the women's game, but in the men's game as well with, with our background. So, I mean, it should be made clear from my point of view, knowing both of you, and I'll, I'll, I can say things that you obviously can't, but <clears throat> you both were so integral within the coaching education department of at Twickenham. You were so involved. You can still see videos to this day of the things that you both did. And they're still being shown as the gold standard. Graham, especially with the scrummaging stuff. But I know you appeared in an RFU video, Gary. And I know a core skills video. And I still got that. And I've shown clips of it to players now. And that was, what, seven, eight years ago now? And it's still very, very relevant and very good. And you're still regarded, you know, the things that you do as gold standards performances. And yet, after a World Cup, as your world champions, while other teams have been prepared, you know, and without hearing the RFU side of it, because that's obviously where we're being pretty careful here. It's, it strikes me as strange that the transferable skills you have weren't appreciated by, I guess, the female game, which didn't have any money, as we are, as we've already heard, but the male game as well. I mean, you was, Graham was level five, you're level four, equally transferable to any team in the country. Uh, Graham, I, I can't understand why why you couldn't get work, you know, why people wouldn't hire him. Do you well, know? Uh, at the point of being advised of our future. Yeah. We were both asked to stay on for the 2015 Six Nations. Which wow. uh, <laughs> that's uh, uh, straight. I, I know you did. Well, uh, I, I after, know. after we both left the, the, the office at the stoop, I phoned him up and said, where are you? He says, I mean, I'm, I'm heading to Tesco's for a coffee. I says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. And we sat down and, and I think neither of us had agreed to do the Six Nations, but we had agreed to cons consider it. And at that coffee we sat down, uh, Street said to me, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, right, he's not going to do it. Um, and my initial thought was the players. But I'll be brutally honest with you. I thought, yeah. who's, who's going to look after the players? <clears throat> so 
I agreed to do it, but the the arrogance of the RFU, I believe, just thought that we would both do 2015 Six Nations and that would be it. Right. And at the end of that 2015 Six Nations, they could say bye-bye. Gary saying no put a spanner in the works. And then I decided to stay and there was no plan. There was no plan for a, a coach, a backs coach, a head coach. There was no plan for, for this scenario. And so that 2015 Six Nations, which was the worst England performance in a Six Nations in history, was pretty much one of the worst experiences of my career, where you'd got somebody appointing themselves as head coach. You'd got mids coming in from sevens to help out with some stuff. Uh, I'd asked for um, Joe Yap to be available to come in from the 20s and help with the backs. And, you know, we lost the first game to Wales down at Swansea, which we should have won. We didn't play very well, I, I, I might add. Um, and it was just an utter mess. And, and uh, you know, I, I often think about a, a legacy and, and think, well, that was a really shit end to... to my career in that Six Nations, but I stayed, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not wanting any plaudits for this. I stayed because of the players. Right. If we'd have both left, I, God knows what would have happened. Yeah. Um, but going back to your question, um, uh, and I know that you've got this in your mind, so I'll, I'll say, I, I honestly feel that somebody got the knives into me or blackboard me for some reason because I couldn't get anything. I, I was doing a bit of work here for Loughborough. I was doing a bit of work here for Stoke Rugby Club. And I'm very grateful for those two organisations for helping me out at that moment in time. I tried to set myself up as a consultancy business, but there was, there was very, very little. Uh, Streety says, you know, some of the jobs advertised at universities and organisations and they want this, that and the other. They haven't got a clue what they want, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> I it, look. I you and I are, are mates, but we're not best friends. Let's let's be clear. I don't know Graham that well. I've never met his family and, and such. Over over lockdown, we've become close because of the, the the things we've done together. Gary, I know for a bit. It's not a having lived in England for twenty years. Um, you 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 see great coaches. Um, let let go by the RFU, and I. Whatever the circumstances, I don't know what they are. There could be very good circumstances why people are left out. But there doesn't seem to be a friendly departure of any of them. I mean, you look at people like, let's go through them. Ben Ryan, Russell Earnshaw, John Fletcher. Um, you know, the old Mike Friday. The, all of these people Martin have left. Hard. Martin Hard, Nigel Redman. You know, well, I think Nigel's gone back, has gone back, yeah. is he? I think he's back in yeah. again. So, I mean, these are great people who've done some good things. And for whatever reason, and again, I should stress, I don't know what the RFU side of this is. And there may be very valid reasons why. I just feel there doesn't seem to be at the top level of, of again, because I live in England, this is about England specifically, it could be the same in Wales or Scotland. But you get to a, such a level and you, get, you become such a high profile success. And then all of a sudden the strings are cut um, unceremoniously without any plan. And the coaches have to leave the country, as you did, as Stuart Lancaster did. Um, ben Ryan had to leave, and it was just there's nothing for you. And I, I just, it's, it's. I don't ask you to comment on it. I'm just making the statement. I think there's a lot of so many good coaches and so many good people. Um, oh, Nick Scott, Nick Scott, wonderful coach educator, now coaching in in Italy. And one day, maybe you know, when things calm down a bit after the lockdown, maybe these people we could start recognizing these people for what they've done. You know, you two included, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, Jess, do you want to say anything from what you've heard? Um, I, I do have a question, um, which is I was listening to a Stuart Lancaster podcast um, probably about a year ago, and he was reflecting on his transition or things he could have done differently when he was in the post um, for the top England job. 
and things he then passed on to Eddie Jones. Um, and I know of mids, we've had a few chats. Um, I've had him on my pod um, and I know he was in charge of England sevens at the time. And then he, when he took over, he was still doing both for a while. And I know he was doing sort of the back stuff as well. Did you have an opportunity or a moment to have a debrief with him to give him any words of wisdom, um, any chance or, you know, and if so, what, what sort of, sort of lessons learnt did you, did you pass on to him? No, I still had a load of my stuff on my laptop for the, that four year period, which sat on my laptop, really. Um, and we've spoken stuff as, and things um, since and you know I sat down with, with Scott Beamond on, on quite a lot of that stuff but at the time there wasn't really a handover um, and again just to, uh, for me I think it's just a shame really but I think we could have you know we were definitely different ways in the past that we were going from where the RFU was, women's programme was going and thoughts of, with the sevens and fifteens crossovers um, but no it was a shame that you know there wasn't probably opportunities to make that transition I think it's Eamon's point as well really there's there's so much knowledge that that's gone without without any handover or without any succession planning I think there's ways that that things can be done better all the time and everything but the ability to pass the you know you, you probably mentioned there Eamon hundreds of years of knowledge on <laughs> those coaches you mentioned if you, you yeah. add them all together and yeah massive shame that that's not pulled as a resource and and being able to dig into? I mean, I would love to, after you'd both step, well, step down, not step down, I would have loved to have, have you as, as coach education department. Say, would you, instead of coaching England, would you now take your knowledge around the country and work in the coach education department? And, and, and Graham was doing a bit as a level five. I think you're probably doing a little bit as well as a mentor, Gary, and we'll come to your current role in a bit, but <clears throat> it's just a, such a shame. I think it's just a shame that all of these wonderful people had gone and there's, there's no formal, not recognition, I think that will come to that maybe later, but just an understanding that how much knowledge they had. I mean, I, I mean, people are paying hundreds and thousands of pounds to listen to Stuart Lancaster talk when they are if you had him. You know, they are if you had him. You know, and okay, 2015 didn't go so good, but that didn't, rec that didn't shut down the fact that he was actually quite a popular coach, did a lot of good things, and that could also be said of you two. You did some extraordinary things with, with almost nothing at your disposal, with a lot of hard work from Jeanette and Carol and all the other people behind you. But geez, the stuff you did as a pair and as a coaching team is extraordinary. And, and the fact that this story is not being told is the reason behind the podcast, is that it should be told. And I, you know, I, like I say, as a Welshman, I, you know, I'm as one-eyed as the next guy when it comes to rugby games. But from a, from a, from a peer, coach peer, the things you've done, and the things I've learned from Graham, just extraordinary. And it's, a, it's such a shame that you're not, you're not available. Well, you are available, but you know, in a formal manner where we can, somebody can put their hand up and says, I wonder, can I get Gary Street to come for a week from the RFU? Would he come up here for a week? And the RFU would say, yes, Gary, go and play. But maybe, listen, that's just a, that's a dreamland, isn't it? Well, you know, professional sport is sometimes so cutthroat. And I, I just, it's just living in dreamland a little bit that I wish, you know, the good thing is people like Jess have podcasts and, she can bring in Simon and, and hopefully yourselves to maybe touch on areas that we couldn't touch in the podcast. But, you know, um, I think, sorry, Eamon, just to add on that, I don't, I don't think it's just sport alone. I don't think any organization holds on to its, its staff and its talent in the way that it should. So yeah. it's not, it's not sport. It's not sport alone. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's ways we can do it better. I think I, I, you know, and there's certainly ways where we can make people in the RFU more accessible. I reached out to MIDS and had a conversation with MIDS over email um, that then went into a conversation over WhatsApp that then went to a face-to-face -face meet that then went to a an hour phone call during the summer yeah. when he was driving back from, from DMP. And we were just talking about coaching and, and backing myself and, and all sorts of stuff. But I reached out to him because somebody external and to me went go for it and just drop him a line he's really friendly yeah. I think we need to do better at making people at the top of our game more accessible to people that are coming through mm. and that and that's not just in sport alone I think that's that's lots of different organizations so obviously we we've talked about your your departure we've talked about 
past coaching achievements um, and we've heard some wonderful insights and, and stories into England's World Cup campaigns and Six Nations campaigns. Um, what are you both doing now um, and have you got any sort of <clears throat> aspirations for the future ideas for the future or, or funny stories from, from job roles you're doing now? Um, I'll kick off. Um, so I don't work for Harlequins. I work as the Academy Coach Development Officer. Um, I went there originally to head up the Tyrrells Prem uh, Women's 15 as head coach there with, with Karen Finlay, uh, which I very much enjoyed. Um, but last year, there was um, the, the, the ACDO job um, had become a huge beast, really, and there was no way I could... I was effectively doing two jobs at the same time. Um and the new challenge of an academy role and developing coaches, of which the 70 within the programme that, that I look after, um, was something I thought that would be different and new. Um, it is interesting. So the the RFU pay half the wages of the outdoor role. So I'm now back. I had a meeting yesterday, actually, with, with Martin McTaggart from the RFU. So part of my role now is developing a coach education programme nationally with the RFU. Awesome. Uh, Brilliant. So I and had that we had that meeting yesterday on, on um, some a, a, a needs analysis of what coaches need throughout the country. So I'm on a task force of that, which is pretty cool. Um, obviously furloughs dug into everything over the last twelve months, and um, so just waiting to, to get back and and see if we can make a difference and support coaches in a in a new role. Really fantastic, fantastic, Graham. Uh, Looking for work, unfortunately, uh, COVID um, affected my job in uh, Barcelona, which I've been doing for three and a half years, which um, would probably have come to a natural end in June uh, anyway, uh, because the organisation has uh, had a massive financial hit through COVID. Um, so I had to come back uh, end of January, uh, which was disappointing. Uh, it was a hell of a place to work. Um, and much bloody warmer as well. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I've got, I'm in discussions with a, a few people, uh, and I've been uh, applying for jobs. Uh, uh, Poland, Estonia, Germany, France. Uh, but again, COVID. A lot of these things have been put on hold because of COVID. Um, so I'm just uh, trying to generate interest in myself or the harness or both um and um just just trying to sort of find a way of um uh, uh developing some some um, income um i'm 99.9 percent .9 certain i'm going to start up a diddy rugby franchise with vicky uh, mcqueen who is the uh, ceo of diddy rugby and uh, gary and i both coached her and we're looking at two local rugby clubs to me about getting involved with that. That might be, you know, of, of um, interest. Um, anybody who knows me locally who'd like to get involved in coaching uh, 18-month-old to six-year-old, give me a call. It's not my expertise, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I will not be coaching the Rugrats. Um, but uh, my granddaughter will definitely be involved. Uh, so it's... Reflecting, um, challenging myself. Do do I actually? What is the current game like? And and am I on the right, the right wavelength for it? I suppose. Definitely been doing that a bit over the last few weeks, and certainly talking to you in the street, we 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 certainly have thoughts on that. So that's about it, really. Just picking up on that, that reflecting on on the game. Obviously, the, the women's game in this country has increased massively. Um, the top of the game, we now have uh, a premiership. Um, at the grassroots level, participation has increased massively since 2010. Do you look back and see your impact, or do you look back and see, see yourselves as having an impact on that? Do you assess the role that you've had? If I'm, okay, I'm going to be honest here now, and I'm not, not one just to to say self-praise for a bit of ground, we had a huge impact on the game. We, we might, not just on our game, but the, the worldwide game. I've, um, the success we had and all the nonsense about, oh, England are professional. As Graham said, we were. Our girls 
worked hard and we, we were fortunate we had full-time staff um and what we did we just made everybody else have to catch up and i think we the six nations that we have the the impact you know thinking we're never going to beat new zealand there was a thought because of their gene pool would never beat them so we said well what what can we do we need to be more skillful we need to be let's be better rugby players and because that's we, we we try to take stuff that we could control and have we got a gene pool where we've got 19 stone front row no have we got our enthusiasm effort vision to go make our front row the best rugby players in the world and the best clearing pass. what one six nations like rocky clark had more clearing passes than anybody else apart from the scrum um the big vision and we, we me and graham did a, a presentation post um post 2014 about silver to gold and it's about that we had you know lots of silver medals and world cups and once you get to gold and we use kath granger as a really good example about her olympic journey was to gold one of my favorite ever olympians is, is kath yeah. granger yeah. Well, she came in. She came and spoke to us, and maybe I, I just dropped. This. So there was a, there was a bit when she was going to win the gold. I'll say it quickly because I know we use lots of time. Um, and she said in the boat when she got ahead in the final where she was going to win the gold, she suddenly then had this mental um, wobble, and she was like, "Oh my god, say I lose it again." I, I thought I was going to win a gold, maybe it's another silver, and and then um, somebody else in the boat went, "Kath, just keep rowing." And in the World Cup final, we, when Canada had come back a bit, and with that second half, there was a bit of a wobble, and, and you know, there was a, there was a player huddle, and Katie sent to one of them, and somebody said, "Just keep rowing," and it sort of just got us back on track. But um, but the vision in that silver to gold um, had two had two parts to it, and one was win the World Cup, and the other one, and I, I looked at it yesterday actually. Um, I was I was on. I was, I did something for St Mary's Uni. I was doing some coaching stuff. And the other bit was take away the brackets. My vision wasn't just about winning the World Cup. I wanted to get rid of, aren't they a good team in brackets for women? And that was that was my vision as well. And when we got to so 2014 post the um, post the final, there was, there was a guy from from the IRB and from Fear Rugby, a French guy, I won't name him. And... Um, who'd been very anti-women's rugby for, for many, many years and had no idea why. But doing it, supporting it. And had, uh, somebody came into uh, into the bar and come and grabbed me and said, this person would like to speak to you outside. I was like, oh, I don't need to speak to him now. You know, we've just won the World Cup and why not? What's what I going to say? And um, I went outside and he said, I want to apologise. I said, what's that? He said, I think I should shoot myself in the head. And he went, he said, today I've seen a magnificent game of rugby and he went and because he knew this phrase is used and he went and not just for women and um and that was a bit where I went, well, we've made an impact here now. a long lasting impact because it was only going to get better but that i think if we did anything we we took away some brackets graham? yeah i feel quite emotional about that yeah graham um <clears throat> i i totally agree with street i mean uh Personally, if 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 you've uh, if you've heard the phrase "Tower of Power," that's probably going to be my legacy, um, which I first used in 2005 on a prop idol competition with uh, Gavin Williams down in Hampshire, um, and and that phrase came out of using towels for bands and all sorts of things. So uh, I think that 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 you know that phrase is something that that. I will live and die by. I I question the legacy from 2014. I think the impact that Gary's talked about is 100%. But for the game, for the legacy of women's rugby, I'm, I'm just questioning whether whether we took advantage of of. I, I think we totally took advantage of losing the final in 2010 for women's rugby. The increase in women's rugby from 2010 to 2014 was massive. I would question whether 2014, having won it, has had the same impact. When I was planning this podcast, this was where I felt the story should end. However, for me, there is one thing I would like us all to think about. In the 2004 New Year's Honours list, Her Majesty granted awards to the England men's rugby team. All of them. 
It is generally acknowledged that the 2014 World Champions changed the face of the women's game forever. Rugby World magazine stated at that time, this month's World Cup has shown there is a huge appetite for 15-a-side women's rugby. Record TV figures and big crowds have put the game in front of a wider audience than ever before and raised its profile hugely. So for me, the question that remains unanswered is why didn't the world champions of 2014 get their day in the sun? Of course, many believe that Her Majesty personally chooses the awards of state, as she does, to a point. But that's not how the process works. Firstly, you have to be nominated. That's it, nominated. That nomination is then sent to a committee in Whitehall, home to the offices of the British government, for assessment as to the worthiness of that nomination, and then finally, onto approval by Her Majesty. In my research for this series, I have heard several theories as to why the nomination process seemed to have failed in this instance. One person told me that the government department responsible for the nomination process specifically chose those two members of the team they wished to give the award to. I find that very, very hard to believe. It was also rumoured that the nominations from the RFU were sent to the committee, but they chose to ignore the highest profile sports team of that year. The first female team ever to win BBC Sports Team of the Year. Finally, and most disturbingly of all, a nomination for the team was approved, but someone stepped in to stop it ever going to the awards committee. Sadly, we may never know the truth. As a sports coach, seeing the names of sports people over the years being rewarded by Her Majesty fills me with great joy as it shows the importance of sport and where it lies at the heart of British society. However, I cannot help feeling that a significant injustice has been perpetrated here and remains a significant footnote in the story of the 2014 team. Now this is not a call for all of the team to get their due credit now because that's not how the world works. The reason for the podcast was to tell the story of the 2014 team from the view of their coaches and how much they had to commit to the sport, all of them as amateur players to become world champions. I just can't help feeling that something is not quite right. Near the end of the recording, I asked Gary and Graham one final question. It was the only question I gave them time to prepare because I knew how difficult it would be for them to answer it. But before that, this happened. Probably a, a sum up of my journey to date would probably uh, be thanks because they've played no, no small part in that really. Um, 2014, I was between degrees, um, was thinking about doing an MA uh, my university which I then went to do but I was playing um prop at my local club both tight head and loose head um probably doing tight head to a fairly good standard but loose head was probably a little bit a little bit shaky um and I was part of a period in women's rugby that really saw a growth everywhere we were suddenly on tv women holding rugby balls a lot more and it was being talked about and that sports personality of the year moment as well I, I always watched it and I, I watched it to this day with with my family with my dad with my mom it, it's a big event for us because it's Christmas we love Christmas so we always watch it sports and Christmas it's like the perfect combination um, and seeing female rugby players on primetime TV up there talking about their sport, being celebrated for their sport was a bit of a game changer for me. And when I finished my degree, um, I, I, I left the world that I thought I was supposed to be in and I went into coaching and I started coaching my local university as an assistant. And then the next year I was head coach and I stayed there for a few years and I was director of women and girls rugby at a club um, and now I've moved clubs where I'm now the coach developer there. I'm head of women and girls rugby. Um, and I'm just about to, to start coaching the men's team 
um, as some role in that. And that, and they're, you know, they're they're quite a well-known club. They play in the NCA league, so it's no small feat for me to for me to lend some contribution, whether that's ones or twos. Um, and I'm just about to start my level three coaching, and that's just me. That's just my one journey that was inspired by you guys and rugby constantly being around me, but but female role models in rugby constantly being around me that was that was due to your success. I'm just one person that sat and watched it that day. And I can only think of probably the thousands of women that also sat down with their families and they were rugby mad, but they were probably in a different world working and they've probably sat down and gone, that could be me as well. So women holding a rugby ball, talking about rugby were seen on TV because of that win and it's catapulted the game to where it is today to the fact where I can now go and inspire a little girl who's picking up a rugby ball for the first time and she's you know age seven or eight I, I get to inspire the next generation just as if you've inspired thousands of people like me um thank you let's go back and reinvent the world a little bit we'll start with you Graham if you don't mind let's say you both decided to leave on the September of 2014 and you were given a party and all the players were there and that was going to be the last time you saw them. Graham, what would you say to the players of 2014 if you had, if you had a chance to go back and say it to them now? I've seen this question, I've thought about it and I... Well, actually... It's relevant to me because of 2015 and um, I would just say, hand on heart, I did everything I could for you. Gary, do you want to say, what would you, what would you have said? Um, Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for. Thank you for. Thank you for making sure that journey was worth it. Gary Graham. Thank you very much. say one thing that you can either edit in or edit out I don't mind but I don't know, I don't know whether you know this but Gary and I won a world cup we don't we don't like to talk about it that's it <laughs> we won a world cup but we don't like to talk about it